I've I've really really been dreading doing this, but it, it's very much so a necessity that I do this because I, you know, I, I don't want to hide like my feelings or or anything like that from you know any potential listeners of this show. I, I want to be a, a real person and a human and not just you know some fucking robot who gets on here every week and like only knows music and only sees the world through music um so i I, i'm asking that everyone listening to this just please please bear with me while i try to get my thoughts out because i have like i I have nothing prepared for this i'm just speaking directly from the heart that it is really not even all there right now. So yeah, just please, you know, forgive me for stuttering and for not fully knowing what to say or how to say it. Um, clearly there was no episode of this show last week. And if you follow me on social media or, you know, we're part of certain discord circles with each other, then you should already know the reason why. Um, so, fuck. On October 28th, so almost seven months ago by this point, I, I, I took in a, I took in a stray cat and, you know, I, I've, I've grown up around animals pretty much my whole life. Um, but, and I've always liked them, but I, I never really had like an attachment to them. I never really, you know, grew a bond with them. They were always, you know, either like my dad's or my mom's or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, this cat, it, it was just something was immediately different and it was a feeling I had never had before. And I, I named her Mikasa. No, she was not named after the Bell of Maya song. She was named after the Attack on Titan character, who is subsequently also the inspiration for that Bell of Maya song. So they all have like that, um, um, connective tissue. I don't, I don't fucking know, man. Um, anyways, um, so, you know, I, I had Mikasa since October and she, she became my best friend. She became my whole world. Everything in my life revolved around Mikasa, and I always knew that no matter how fucking shitty, uh, you know, my mental health was, my personal life was, I I could wake up and Mikasa would be at my bedroom door waiting for me. You know, and, and there was solace in that. That was such a, such a comforting feeling that I had never had before. Um, um, on Sunday, May 16th, she she randomly got sick and at this point i can only like uh, assume what she was sick with i'll never really know um but she got sick and you know that whole sunday evening was fucking horrible and i was so concerned and worried over her uh, on monday may may 17th she didn't show any signs of getting better. In fact, she was getting worse and I just didn't want to look at it that way. I didn't want to accept that, but that was the reality of the situation. 
on Tuesday morning at 425, right before my dad went to work, he woke me up and, and he was very honest with me and said that it didn't look good and that I should go be with her. So I went to go sit with Mikasa and 18 minutes later, she passed away. And this has, this has been the most difficult and excruciatingly painful thing I've ever had to endure in my life. Because up until this point, I had never actually experienced like personal loss. The only deaths that were there for me to mourn were from, you know, celebrities or people who I, I looked up to. So like in the world of music, like, you know, The Rev, uh, Christina Grimmie, Chester Bennington, Lil Peep, Kyle Pavone, Juice World, like those were, those were the deaths that impacted me. But these were all people who I, I didn't even know. I, I just watched them from afar. But losing somebody who I viewed as like a fucking child was, I, I, I don't know how this is supposed to get any easier. I, I feel so numb and lost and I don't know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I, I really don't know. And again, I'm 26 years old. I only had her for close to seven months. But I, I still can't really envision a, a future without her. And at this point, it's been, you know, it, it's been almost a week. I, I should have also uh, mentioned that I'm recording this part a couple of days before I record the rest of the episode. Because there's no way that I can talk about this stuff and, and then just go into music as if that's all that fucking matters to me. And as if, like, that is really important in the grand scheme of things. Music is, you know, one of my biggest passions and I love it so much but it takes a backseat when something like this happens and I hope everybody can understand that and that's why there was no episode last week I, I really really wanted to just try and, and power through everything I was feeling but I I, I couldn't even I, I, I couldn't even get out of bed on certain days guys it was fucking awful and I'm having to you know, readjust myself and learn how to do certain things over again because this was, you know, a fucking reset of my brain and my heart and I'm having to navigate life now without Mikasa and that is so fucking difficult to picture. And, you know, again, like, maybe there was no reason for me to bring this up on the show at all, but I just felt like I needed to. I couldn't ignore this. It happened. It's a part of me now. And it, 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 it's, I, I needed to say something about it. And again, I'm so sorry for just stumbling and, and shit like that. But like, I, I, I still don't know really what to say or, or how to process everything that's happened. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm I'm such a mess right now, y'all. It it's yeah. This is um this is real shit. This this isn't fucking. This isn't anything that I could have ever ever imagined happening th this quickly. Um. But I, I'm I'm choosing to to move forward with this episode, and not only is this episode, you know dedicated to Mikasa's memory, 
Everything about this show moving forward is dedicated to her memory. Everything that I do with my life moving forward is dedicated to her memory. All of my successes belong to Mikasa just as much as they belong to me. And I will do everything, you know, within and beyond my abilities and power to make sure that she has a legacy and more people hear about her and know about her and know her story because she fucking deserves to live forever and she will i i I promise her that and i will fucking make sure that mikasa has a place in this world for the rest of time beyond even my own existence so what's gonna happen now with this episode is once i you know wrap up my thoughts and i finish this intro there will be uh, a couple seconds of silence, and then it'll go straight into the reviews of all the singles from this past week. So, you know, all that being said, I, I just ask you guys to, you know, please, please, you know, cherish your loved ones, the people who are close to you, you know, any pets that you have, just, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's obvious, but understand that, you know, n- no one is, like, Physically, nobody is here forever, and we we have to make the most of the time that we have. So, yeah, that that's pretty much all that I have to say. It, um, thank you so much to anybody who you know listened to this part all the way through and made it up to here. And I, I hope you guys can understand just what Mikasa meant to me and what I want her to mean to everyone else. Thank you. Um, Enjoy this episode. I appreciate it. Angels and Airwaves dropped their first song in... I don't even know how fucking long it's been. Maybe it's not even been long at all, but I'd be lying if I said that I've had an extended care for Angels and Airwaves in my time of knowing them. Like, to me, they were always just what Tom did post Blink-182, and that was that. I heard a couple of songs back when I was in middle school, and it just wasn't really something I ever attached myself to. But this new song of theirs, Euphoria, was actually really good. And take everything I just said, and understand that my preconceived notion of what this song would sound like was baseless because I don't normally listen to Angels and Airwaves. But this song had a really cool synth-sprinkled atmosphere that lent itself to the alternative rock song that's layered underneath all of that. Tom sounds great on here, as does the rest of the band. There's this instrumental section in the bridge that's largely supported by this fucking gnarly bass line that interacts extraordinarily well with the rest of the instrumentation. This was a cool surprise. I I, I like this song a lot. Beartooth put out yet another single ahead of their album Below out on June 25th. This time, the song is called Fed Up, and it's pretty solid, I would say. Definitely not my favorite of the singles so far, and I think I said this about their prior single, Hell of It, but I hear this song, and while I just complimented it, it reaffirmed to me what the issues some have with this band are. Lyrically, And instrumentally, this song is admittedly not something uncharted for Beartooth, 
It fits into every trope the band has set for themselves, but to their credit, I think they can nail that formula better than a ton of other bands who you can point to and use labels like Radio Rock and Generic Metalcore. The chorus is hella catchy, although I don't think that's ever been a weak point in Caleb Shomo's songwriting or the capabilities of Beartooth as a whole. And at this point, my impression of the singles from below is that this can be an enjoyable album for myself, but it's not going to be what turns any of Beartooth's critics around on them. Boys of Fall released an acoustic rendition of Worth It, which was off of their album from last year called Distance. This band gave the same treatment to the song Heavy Hearts a couple weeks ago, and I chose to talk about that song as well as this one just to have an excuse to bring up Boys of Fall, because I think they're really, really good and should have more eyes on them. There isn't too much here to say about this track. I think it's very good and on par with the quality of the original version of Worth It, and unless I missed some larger announcement from this band, I don't really know if these acoustic renditions are part of some, you know, reimagining EP or just small projects to appease the fanbase for now. But regardless, I am totally down for more Boys of Fall material whenever. Capstan announced their new album, Separate, out on July 23rd, and with that came the lead single called Shades of Us. Capstan is a band who very easily can slip my mind, but whenever I'm shuffling through my Spotify library and a song of theirs comes up, I'm reminded just how fucking good this band is. Uh, like, Capstan just have that fucking it factor, and they're incredible, and everything I'm saying right now, you know, it, it factors into this new single because I think it is perfect fucking incredible, and it absolutely eclipses anything off of their last record outside of maybe Stars Before the Sun. That's still one of the greatest songs I've ever heard, but Shades of Us is right fucking there next to it. Everything about this track works, and it, it utilizes a specific style of metalcore that manages to play to every bit of nostalgia I have for the 2000s, while still sounding like something that was dropped in 2021. The song knows exactly when it needs to be heavy, and exactly when the softer, more melodic and electronic atmosphere is appropriate. Shades of Us was my favorite song from last week. It was my most played song over the weekend. I fucking love this song, and it immediately cemented separate by Capstan, as one of the pillars of the release calendar throughout the third quarter of this year. Also announcing a new album was Cult. Uh, this is actually going to be their debut album. It's called PlayStation 2, and it's set to release on June 7th. That's actually a Monday, so this is like one of the few records this year that gets its own spotlight, and there won't be anything else new that day that I need to listen to. They dropped their latest single off of the record called Heartbreak, and I really don't know how many people actually know about Cult, but it's certainly not enough. This band is so fucking cool, and they have not missed in any of their releases yet, in my opinion. There's a really curious flow to Heartbreak's vocal delivery that 
kind of channels Chase Atlantic, but while also putting their own spin on it. The chorus on this song is emphatic, and I, I can't say enough good things about how fucking well this band execute courses. They do everything well, but catchy melodies and hooks come as naturally to cult as they do any other elite band in the scene today. PlayStation 2 is going to be a massive record for June, and I really hope it succeeds in introducing more people to cult. Cleopatra have a brand new song out called 2008. This is off of their debut album, Bummer, which is out on June 4th. This is a chilling and haunting song, honestly. There's very little instrumentation throughout it, and it's really just vocals and an electric guitar, so it comes across as something that you think should be acoustic, but that electric guitar that I just mentioned really establishes the eerie atmosphere in this song, and it really hooked me. And lyrically, this song matches the energy set by the atmosphere because it's so, like, brooding and feels like someone pouring out their soul. The last 30 seconds is just the same repetitive guitar chords losing steam and fading out while the line, when you give a fuck just let me know, is repeated like 5 or 6 times. This track was a journey more than anything else and I found a lot to love about it. Culture Wars released their latest single, Hunger, which I don't believe is attached to anything as of now. This was my first time listening to Culture Wars, although reading their Spotify bio, I, I found out that they're from Texas, so I have more reason to continue supporting them. This was a really cool song. It's got a big time mainstream feel to its production, but not watered down in any way if that's the indication someone would get from the term mainstream. It felt like the bass was acting as the song's source of energy. Like, everything revolved around it from the vocals to the drums, and that was ultimately what I thought Hunger fell on. I thought this was a successful introduction to Culture Wars for myself, and this track does make me interested in going back through the band's discography to see what else there is, because these are definitely some talented individuals. Fooling Fox has put out what looks to be his debut single, at least based off of what's available on Spotify. The song is called R.I.P. This Life, and it features Will Lager from The Weekend Transit on vocals, and I thought he did extraordinarily well in that regard. Everyone involved with this song really did so, and, you know, it's got this really sick mixture of, like, post-hardcore and alternative rock that is always so easy to pull me in, especially when it's laced with the style of emotion and soul that this particular song is. The chorus feels big and like, sorta akin to something that would have been on that last Too Close to Touch record. There are still some areas of Fooling Foxes that I can't really comment on for a lack of information. Like, it's a solo project from an artist named Spencer, but there are other musicians involved in the music video for R.I.P. This Life, so I question if that's just everyone who's going to be regularly showcased in Fooling Fox's music, or if Spencer did the instrumentation on his own. But regardless, whatever the case is, I was heavily impressed with this single, and I can't wait to hear more from Fooling Foxes. Let's talk about Green Day. I don't really want to, but we, we all do things that we don't really want to, you know? So, 
whatever. Uh, Green Day dropped a new song last week called Pollyanna, and the only reason I heard about this song was because it got mentioned when Sam from the State of the Scene was on Bees' Twitch stream. Uh, Abiz is a really cool dude who is very knowledgeable about certain sectors of alternative music that I'm not, and he spoke about this Green Day song with some enthusiasm, so I was like, fine, whatever, fuck it, I guess I'll listen to it. So I did, and it's alright, I guess. I truthfully don't really give a fuck about Green Day. There are some songs off of Dookie that I think are pretty cool, and then some stuff from American Idiot that is kinda annoyingly catchy. But outside of that, you can fucking miss me with Green Day, dude. Uh, but all that being said, I did just say that Pollyanna was alright. So, you know, it was definitely not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it still has the elements of Green Day songs that steer me away from fully being able to accept them. I've always found Billy Joe Armstrong's vocal delivery to be, like, I'm trying to figure out the word, um, I guess irritating, maybe? That, that's probably the best way to put it. And that is very prominent in this song, so it, it was once again hard for me to, you know, be like, fuck yeah, Green Day, and instead I was just like, oh, sure, Green Day, whatever. Um, everywhere else, though, it was fine. I didn't have a huge issue with this song, but I also wouldn't call myself a fan of it. It just exists, and, you know, that's okay. Gr Green Day's still gonna do really well no matter what, so... Who gives a fuck what I have to say about them? In Dying Arms released their latest single, Death Wish. In Dying Arms is a name that I've seen pop up several times over the last decade, or, or within that frame. And admittedly, I kind of just brushed over them and didn't really think twice about it. But because I feel like I have a commitment to covering as much material as possible on this show, I, I went ahead and added this song to the catalog for the week, and holy fucking shit, this song is amazing. It, it, it's like metalcore that has such attitude to its delivery and execution on all fronts for the first, like, 60 or 70% of the song, and then the last minute and 20 seconds really sees the song scale back everything it had just thrown at the listener, and becomes this atmospheric journey with somewhat hip-hop instrumentation, all while the vocalist Orion Stevens is still screaming his head off, and yet he sounds muffled and like as if he's trying to break away from some sort of confinement. And I know that's a weird way to describe music, but it was just the vibe I got off of Death Wish's outro, and I was such a fan of the entire track. In Chaos put out their latest single called Butterfly Effect. This band's library doesn't run deep at all on Spotify, but my hope is that the small amount of songs they have to their name as of now have the substance that Butterfly Effect does, because I really enjoyed this single. There's a real grittiness to the production of this track, in the sense that it doesn't sound polished. Like, it's very rough, but that kind of works to the song's advantage, because it does succeed in taking me back to an older era of metalcore that had similar tones to this kind of stuff. The mixture of screams from Jin with enchanting vocals from Zaihan, I hope I'm saying that correctly, made for some pretty memorable moments in this track, especially at the midpoint and outro, 
where Zihan kind of takes over the track, and that's where her background in operatic singing really lets Butterfly Effect flourish. Like, seriously, she sounds fucking incredible, as does everyone else in this project. For sure a song that was up there with some of my favorites from last week. Johan Lennox and Young Pinch collaborated on a chamber version of No One Wants to Dance Anymore. This isn't really a new song. It came out early last year on YouTube, but it didn't show up on streaming services until last week, so that's why I'm giving myself some room to cover it on this show. Vocally, this is like a dreary, emo hip-hop track, but the instrumentation is entirely orchestral, and it made for such a sick, unique environment that I would for sure love to hear more of. Whether that be from, you know, Johan or Pinch or anyone else for that matter. Again, this isn't actually a new song, but if you want to listen to something that I feel confident in saying you've never heard anything like it before, then check out No One Wants to Dance Anymore chamber version. Jutes continues his streak of singles with Extra Extra, and that's the fucking story of this guy's career right now. Extra, 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 it's all so fucking extra because he just keeps putting out new shit every week. Thankfully though, it's all of excellent quality and this song isn't any different. He's kind of experimented with a couple different sounds ranging from hip-hop to pop and to even pop-punk on the song Fuck Your Boyfriend. Extra Extra is more in line with his predominantly hip-hop discography, so in that sense, this isn't something I haven't heard from Jutes before, but he's so consistent in that realm that he could follow the same formula for an extended amount of time and I'd have all the trust in the world that he would make some fucking heat. The chorus on this one is catchy as fuck and contains some really cool wordplay like I love how you extra extra read all about it. Just, you know, endless vibes on this song and that's pretty much the recurring theme whenever I talk about Jutes on this show because he's genuinely one of the most consistent artists in the scene right now. Katastro released their single, The Way I Feel, which is off of the album Sucker, out on July 16th. I went into this song blind because I had never heard of Katastro before. Even though their discography has some fucking depth to it, and they've been around for well over a decade at this point. I, I guess maybe I just missed them because, like, what they do isn't necessarily something that would be in line with the scene I that I spend most of my time within. Although it does have some energy of earlier 21 Pilots, which is kind of funny considering I'm going to talk about their album later on in this episode. But yeah, that was the vibe I got from the way I feel. And to Katasho's credit, they executed that particular sound very well, and I didn't have any trouble maintaining focus on this track throughout its runtime. Nothing over the top or like crazily innovative, but still enjoyable for what it was. Hate Me is the name of the newest single from Lado. This is another artist who I want to say I've seen the name be thrown around before, but I hadn't listened to any of his work until last Friday. Hate Me was such a good starting point though. This is another song that falls into the sector of sad boy hip-hop. I don't necessarily want to say emo, because I wouldn't say that this has a ton of similarities to you know, the, the faces of emo hip-hop that people would think of, like 
a, a Juice World or a Lil Peep or a Lil Uzi Vert, things like that. Um, it's a bit more like streamlined, but I think it still works incredibly well. The production is great and sounds so crisp. The chorus is really catchy with lines such as, I know everybody fucking hates me, why you gotta hate me? And I just had a really good time with this track, and I think I do owe it to myself to listen to more of Lato's prior shit, because I was so impressed with this track. Lil Aaron dropped that one song featuring Lil Lotus. Both Aaron and Lotus at this point are artists who, you know, if, if I just see their names attached to something, I know there's an astronomically large chance that I'm gonna enjoy it. Like, I trust them to deliver every single time, and I wasn't let down by that one song at all. It's got a major pop-punk feel to it, so, like, I, I kind of think I should assume Travis Barker had a hand somewhere on this song, because he's involved in fucking everything nowadays. The chorus is angsty as fuck while also being so catchy. It definitely feels formulaic, especially in its chord progression, but, like, why would I give a fuck if it's formulaic when it's so fucking good, you know? Maybe a little bit cheesy lyrically, but like, bro, it's fucking Lil Aaron and Lil Lotus, like, I, I love this shit. Mike Posner dropped Jealousy featuring Black Bear. Y'all remember Mike Posner? He made the songs Cooler Than Me and I Took a Pill in Ibiza. He was a part of a documentary about Warp Tour in 2010. Um... I don't really care too much about him, to be honest. This song just caught my attention because of the Black Bear feature. And Black Bear is someone who this podcast will forever and always champion. Because he's the fucking best. Um, that being said, me slandering Mike Posner doesn't really make sense for this review. Because I actually like this song. So I don't even know why I said that I don't care about him. I, I don't really have a functioning brain right now, I suppose. As if I ever have a functioning brain. Anyway, um, there's a ton of upbeat energy in this song, and it just feels like a big-time summer song. You know, great beat, great rhythm, catchy hooks. Mike has the exact style of vocals that a track like this calls for. And then Black Bear nails his verse with the prowess that any fan of his has come to expect by this point. This was such a well-crafted song, and every bit of it just has this vibrancy that is unmatched. Manashi have a brand new single out called Arcadia. This was my second time listening to this band following the song Choose Life, which dropped back in January, I think. I got some North Lane vibes from this track throughout the instrumentation and screams, particularly in the Alien era. Maybe the concepts here weren't delivered as well as anything off of that record, but I still got more than a bit of enjoyment out of what was what was brought here. Um, although, if I'm being honest, the clean singing in the chorus almost lost me, which I thought was strange because I don't recall having that gripe with this band prior to this single. I, I, I guess I would say that, like, it, it, it made me feel for this song the way I feel about Barry Tomorrow, which is that everything outside of the clean singing captures me, but once the chorus comes in, it's very hit or miss for me personally. It wasn't terrible on this song by any means, but 
it, it just took me a minute to figure out if the issue was big enough for me to say that I didn't like this song. Oh, ultimately though, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Arcadia. Arcadia. Anybody here ever play Life is Strange? Fuck Arcadia. Neck Deep put onto streaming services their acoustic rendition of When You Know. This was on their album from last year, All Distortions Are Intentional. And this acoustic version was like a... a shit, now I'm forgetting. I think Target, was it? I think it was a Target exclusive bonus track or some shit like that. So, you know, it's not necessarily new, but it's new to Spotify, and that's why I'm talking about it today. And also just to get some neck deep content on this show, because I've never had the chance to talk about them before. They're so fucking good. Neck deep 100% deserve to be viewed as a pillar in the current state of pop punk. This acoustic version is excellent. Although, I will say that I think you get the same experience if you listen to the original version. Or maybe even a better experience. It's subjective, really. But my only goal in mentioning this song is that someone listening who maybe has never heard this song before or Neck Deep altogether can go give them a chance because I think Neck Deep are so fucking important to what this scene is today. No Fit State has released his first song of the year so far called Tightrope. This guy only has less than a handful of songs, yet some of these streaming numbers are mad impressive. He's got 42,000 listeners on Spotify and a song that surpassed 2 million streams. So, you know, good on him for that. And Tightrope is actually a really cool song. The rhythm throughout the verses was infectious, and that factor carried over seamlessly into the chorus. There's also this weird charm that I found to the production and mixing in the sense that, you know, it sounds almost low quality, yet it still manages to capture the sound of a major arena act. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that was just how I observed Type Rope. Very successful outing from No Fit State. Osatia are back with a new single called When Will I Learn? This is the band's first song since the passing of their guitarist Cole McKenzie a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm sorry, a couple months ago. And having that knowledge, it's hard to look at the lyrics without thinking of loss and the pain that accompanies that. The chorus on this track hits with every intended punch, and it's so catchy and emphatic. And that's a testament to not only how talented this band is, but also the power that comes with production from Eric Ron. And going back to what I said about the topic of loss, you know, take some of the lines from the aforementioned chorus in relation to that. One step forward, two steps back, will I see the problem? One step forward, two steps back, chasing yesterday. This song is unbelievably good, and it's really heartwarming to see activity from Osatia after everything they've sadly had to endure. Outloved released their latest single, It's All Hate. Again, this was another band I listened to for the first time last Friday. And they're also another band I have nothing but good things to say about, at least from this one experience with them. I got some Seosin vibes from this track. So, you know, if that's something you're into, I, I can't recommend It's All Hate enough. Super catchy chorus that has some, like segmented instrumentation for lack of a better way of phrasing that like 
the riff sounds broken up at specific intervals, and that somehow really lent itself to the vocal performance from Jaden Colvin. There's even a bit of a breakdown where he gets to show off his screams, and he sounds fucking flawless in that realm. Really cool track that I'm glad opened my eyes to Outloved. Public Enemy is the newest single from Poor Stacy, who's really done a stellar job at building a following within a relatively short time period. Like, his Spotify library only goes back to 2019, but he has 1.2 million listeners and well over a million streams on some of his tracks. So Poor Stacy absolutely knows what he's doing, and he's someone worth championing because he just doesn't miss. Public Enemy has this frantic and almost industrial tone to its production, while poor Stacy lays over his vocals, and mixing all of those elements together creates this apocalyptic song that just flourishes with every passing second. There's so much happening here while still being cohesive, and I really can't say enough good things about poor Stacy and everything he's accomplished up to this point. Pronoun put out her second single from the upcoming EP, OMG I Made It, out on June 11th. The song is called I'm Right Back In It, and this is the follow-up to the lead single, I Wanna Die But I Can't Cause I Gotta Keep Living, which I talked about at some point last month on this show, I think. I, I enjoyed that song, and I can say that I really enjoy I'm Right Back In It. This track has such a bouncy and vibrant feel to the instrumentation that sounds like it could have been pulled out of the 70s or 80s and to an extent that's the same case for pronouns vocal delivery like it, it's just so easy to visualize like old cars and shit like that through the atmosphere set by this single and then it all builds up to the song's conclusion that somehow makes the instrumentation sound even larger than it already did Probably one of my favorite singles from last week, and it succeeded in getting me more excited for the EP in a few weeks. Rome's dropped their newest single called Chill the Fuck Out. Hey, guess what? This was my first time listening to this band, even though they've been around for at least five fucking years and have a ton of projects on Spotify. I said earlier there was a song that had some 21 Pilots vibes to it, and this is the same story in some cases. Although I think they also channel Grandson into what they do. It's a really well executed track, especially vocally. Instrumentally, it comes across as slightly repetitive until the final minute when everything picks up and becomes not necessarily heavier, but it certainly encompasses more aggression than anywhere else prior in the song. There's a part of the pre-chorus that goes... I'm not pop enough, I'm not rock enough, I'm not alt enough, ain't hip-hop enough. And I fuck with those lines immensely, because I think it's a great summarization of how some artists in the scene might feel nowadays when trying to expand their reach in an age where genre limitations don't exist to anyone outside of, you know, elitists and whatnot. Royal and the Serpent has a new song out now called Fuck You, spelt P-H-U-C-K. This is some really fucking cool pop punk that fits along the lines of what some of the newer age pop punk acts are doing, for lack of a better way of phrasing that. So like, think MGK, Maggie Lindemann, Lil Huddy, and artists like that. And even if there's an influx of this particular style, 
I think Royal and the Serpent did a pretty outstanding job at crafting a song that separates her from her contemporaries. There's a lot of angst to this song and a really catchy chorus. You know, really everything that I could ask for from this sector of the pop-punk genre. I liked this song a lot and I await more from Royal and the Serpent in the future. Scarlord has another new song, this time it's Earache. I think this is one of the more surprising tracks from Scarlord, just in the sense that the beat doesn't sound like something I'd expect to be attached to him. Like if you played the song for me instrumentally and asked who it was for, there's no way I would have said Scarlord. But that actually works to his advantage because it distinguishes this song from the rest of his catalog, which is the one gripe I've had with his work at large. There are these like, um, I don't even really know how to explain it, but like electronic and neon sounding bongos throughout the song. I, I really wish I had a better way of explaining that, but my brain is fucking non-existent right now. And I say this every time I cover a Scarlord track, but the dude is seriously one of the best screamers in the game currently. I, I will never not praise his work with regard to how he sounds as a vocalist. Set It Off put out an acoustic rendition of Lonely Dance, which is already more than two years old, I believe. This is going to be on Midnight the Final Chapter, which is really just a deluxe edition of Midnight, the band's most recent album. That deluxe edition will have all of Midnight, After Midnight, which was an EP, and then three acoustic renditions. I thought this version of Lonely Dance was fine, although truthfully, I never had an issue with the original Lonely Dance. I would even say that I liked it, and there were a few songs off of Midnight I would apply that same mindset to. It wasn't a great album by any means, but I felt like I was way more accepting of it than others were. So, yeah, you know, pick whichever version of Lonely Dance you want to listen to. I, I think they're both perfectly fine songs. Slaughtered to Prevail announced their new album, Costalum? Costalum? I, I don't know. Um, out on August 13th via Sumerian Records. They also put out the new single, Baba Yaga, uh, along with a gore-filled music video that I thought was pretty cool. But focusing on the song itself, bro, this song fucks. It, it is amazing. I loved Baba Yaga so much. Slaughtered to Prevail became one of my favorite deathcore bands back when I first listened to them a couple of years ago, but this new song really, like, expands their horizons and incorporates a ton of new metal elements. Almost to the point where I would say this track really reminded me of Slipknot on Iowa. But even with that factor, this is still fucking brutal and unapologetic with how heavy it is. I'm so fucking stoked on this song, and I really get the feeling that this is going to be a special album come August. Super Bloom dropped Pollen, which is the title track off of their debut album releasing on June 1st. I mentioned earlier how Cult are releasing an album on an unconventional day, and Super Bloom are doing the same since June 1st is a Tuesday. I'm cool with that though, because this song did its job in making me want to hear the rest of the record. Every facet of Pollen is laced with 90s alternative rock, and I would 
compare it to the Smashing Pumpkins, both instrumentally and vocally, it has that same wariness and tone. And I suppose you could also draw comparisons to, like, Nirvana and... Um... I guess Nirvana's the only band that comes to mind. There was one other one I was trying to think of, but I'm not figuring it out right now. Whatever. Um, anyways. Uh, yeah. If you're into 90s alt-rock, then Pollen is probably something that you can fuck with. Vanes announced his new EP, Electric Blue, out on July 23rd, and accompanying it was the lead single called Acid Trip. What's kind of funny to me is that the most recent activity from Vanes prior to this song was a cover of Stay Gold by Paris, and that helped me realize that Acid Trip reminds me a lot of Paris. It has those same pop rock characteristics that are capable of just engulfing an entire track and spitting out near perfection with some insanely catchy hooks and melodies. And then some little production details that you might not notice on the first listen, but Every time afterwards you hear this song, you hear it and you're like, oh, that was really cool. There's some real fucking energy to this track, and it was one of my favorite singles from last week, and I'm just really eager to hear the rest of the EP on July 23rd. Vanek released his latest single, PTLD, which features vocals from Lolo. Vanek is a DJ and producer, so every instrumental element on this song was crafted by him while Lolo is the voice that you hear in it. I talked about her recently through a single called Death Wish, which I thought was fucking outstanding, and I think she also sounds great on this song. She fits the exact vibe that PTLD was going for, and the way she controls her voice to match the building suspense before each drop is something that really should be noted. I thought there was a lot to love about this track, and... I feel like I can trust both Vanek and Lolo each time they put new projects out into the world. Rismeet Razor released the third single from their upcoming album, Replica of a Strange Love. The song is called This Summer's Sorrow 2, Growing Old in the Waiting Place. And, and yes, I did have to read that word for word off of my phone just now to make sure that I didn't fuck it up. This track feels slightly less chaotic than its two predecessors, Yet, it also carries the same amount of, like, I guess, eeriness. What this song achieves is showcasing the more melodic side of Rismeet Razor, and yet, that side of this band feels just as suspenseful as when there's a ton of screaming and shit. And sure, there is screaming on here, but it comes briefly in the bridge, and it's probably possible to be so enchanted by the song up to that point, that your mind kind of can't process entirely what's happening, so you miss that section altogether. And then, in the final minute, the song's main rhythm just repeats itself while the vocals do the same with the line, I need to see the end. And that's done in a manner and tone that is just so... chilling and daunting, and it left an impression on me days beyond the first time I listened to it. And with every passing single, it feels like this album would really have to put in serious effort in order to fail, because just in my eyes, there's no reason why anyone should be doubting or denying the potential found within Wrist Meat Razor. And for the final single, we got 
bad decisions by yesterday. I know that the SoundCloud era of hip-hop isn't that far back in the past from, from where we are currently, but I still can't help but feel nostalgic about it every time I hear a song that sounds like bad decisions. Yesterday layered two different pitches in his vocal performance over each other all throughout the song, and it really just adds a dynamic that I couldn't find in any other single from last week. In some instances, the vocal delivery is all that the song can rely on when establishing its catchiness, and I think it ended up working out since there have been moments where I just whisper to myself, making bad decisions with the baddest bitches. I really just couldn't help but admire this song and find it to be captivating. Okay, so now that the singles are finished, I'll move on to the EPs. And there are four of them before getting into the larger selection of albums later on. Northlane released 2D, which has five acoustic renditions of songs from Alien, which, for those who don't know, was their last album in 2019. There's probably not too much to say about this release, so I won't take too much time covering it. The songs present here are Bloodline, Rise, 3D, Enemy of the Night, and Sleepless. I, I think I was just really surprised by how well these acoustic songs came across. And not because I didn't think Marcus Bridge and the rest of Northlane were capable of stripping back their songs, but just because it was so difficult to imagine these songs as being acoustic tracks because of how heavy they are and how risky it can be to adapt them while retaining what makes those songs so special. Maybe not so much Sleepless, since that song was already very atmospheric, but like, you know, I heard Rift when that dropped as the first single, and it immediately made me understand that there's room for something like this on Northline's end to work with. And I'm glad that was the case, because this is a very enchanting and beautiful sounding EP. And while I wouldn't choose to listen to any of these songs over their original versions, it's still something worth checking out, because it gives you an experience from Northlane that is unlike anything they've ever put out before. Just Friends put out JF Crew Volume 2, which follows up JF Crew Volume 1 from back in January. Unlike that EP, this one has some original material on it that we hadn't heard before in any manner from Just Friends. The opening song, Sizzle, is ridiculously fucking cool. It incorporates so many elements into Alternative while preserving what made Just Friends a good band in the first place. There are even some moments near the end where the aggression is turned up and the track just feels like, I guess, angrier? And that doesn't really see itself all the way through, but that didn't stop me from enjoying the fuck out of this song. And then the EP goes into Stupid featuring Lil B, as in Bass God Lil B. And immediately, the song just throws these fucking trumpets into your face, and I was sorta, of, kinda reminded of Knuckles' theme song in Sonic Adventure. Lil B sounded excellent on this song, as did the entire band. Genuinely, I was floored by this song because I didn't expect to hear anything like it this week. The EP closes on a cover of Hella Good by No Doubt, and it does a good job at making it its own song, while still having it be possible to hear this song as an outsider and recognize that it's hella good. This EP fucking rules, 
and it was such a turnaround from volume one, which I did like, but again, it didn't really have any new content. So this was a lot of fun to get to hear. Mallory Run dropped their newest EP, Picture Perfect. I first heard this band a couple of weeks ago when Old Normalcy got singles treatment, and I did like that song. If I'm not mistaken, I compared it to Movements, and I would say that I feel somewhat similarly about the rest of the material here, like at least to a certain extent. Yet, even when pressing play on the opening song, which is the title track, I still couldn't have been prepared for what I was about to listen to. Picture Perfect is one of the best songs I've heard all year so far. I've revisited it so many times since last Friday, and it holds up every single instance. Like, this is a band that knows exactly how that somber and melodic style of post-hardcore should sound in 2021. It's aggressive while still being beautiful, and that carries over into the other tracks. Scattered Pieces is a clinic on how to showcase one's prowess on the instrumental side of that genre, and I say that while still acknowledging how good the vocals are. Where I Belong feels like a relative to the title track in many of its elements, and it's another song that is incredibly catchy despite its nature. The closing song, Constantly, feels like the shining achievement vocally. L like, there are moments on this track that reminded me of Lucas Woodland from Holding Absence in a way. Overall, this was such a fucking dub of an EP, and I still cannot get over just how incredible I thought the title track was. Everything here hits, don't get me wrong, I gave this EP a 5 out of 5, but, dude, title track. Fucking title track. Lastly for the EPs today, we have what is undoubtedly going to be looked back on in December as one of the most celebrated EPs of the entire year for the scene. Z2 or Zombie 2 by The Devil Wears Prada. For those who are listening and might not know the backstory to this EP and why it's so special, back in 2010, The Devil Wears Prada released an EP called Zombie, and to this day, it is one of the band's most acclaimed releases, and at large, it's probably one of the greatest EPs in the history of the alternative scene. The idea of a sequel to Zombie always just felt like a dream that was too distant to be considered a legitimate request. And then last month, Zombie 2 was announced out of fucking nowhere, and it instantly became one of my most anticipated releases of the year. We heard two singles prior to the EP's release, Termination and Nightfall. Both songs are fucking incredible and fit in with exactly what I expected Zombie 2 to sound like with the evolved Devil Wears Prada that was not present in 2010. The songs are heavy and brutal while still being smart with how they're structured. Forlorn, which is the second song here, incorporates some elements of The Act, which was the band's most recent and also um, most adventurous album, I guess is one way to put it. When the track slows itself down to make room for clean singing, it's done in a way that really contributes to the atmosphere that a zombie EP would demand. It feels daunting while also being, like, majestic in a way. 
And I thought that was a constant theme throughout the act, and it makes me happy that the Devil Wears Prada managed to work that style into Zombie 2 while still being heavy. Track 4, Nora, is my favorite song on the EP. The, the rhythm initially reminded me of Bleed by Meshuga, and very quickly, it did what I just mentioned with Forlorn and slowed itself down to become this brooding piece of music that I couldn't pull myself away from. And it's the manner in which Nora is able to transition between heavy and melodic that really took me aback. Despite knowing, for close to 15 years now, that the Devil Wears Prada are one of the most fucking talented bands in this scene. Contagion, which is the closer, kinda channels back to some of the band's more dated material, like 818 in its melodic sections, and the whole song is just this... Um, amalgamation of every element that makes the Devil Wars Prada who they are, and in Zombie 2's runtime, you get an EP that absolutely deserves to be part of the same lineage as one of Metalcore's most remarkable releases in history. In my mind, I'm not ruling out the possibility that Zombie 2 could be better than the original Zombie. It is packed full of everything I could possibly ask for in a Devil Wars Prada release, and it is just... It is just fucking perfect and for sure a project that I will constantly revisit throughout the rest of 2021 and probably beyond that. Alright, so now there are nine albums for me to get through. Yeah, nine fucking albums and I practically just blew my voice out fucking simping for the Devil Wears Prada. But whatever, we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to manage with what I got left. Um... I'm not necessarily going to try to rush through these, but I do want to keep everything short. And as always, I'll go from my least favorite to most favorite record of the week. Olivia Rodrigo released her debut album called Sour. Olivia was on a high school musical series for Disney Plus and then signed with Interscope and Geffen Records last year. She really blew the fuck up at the start of this year with the song Driver's License, which is the third song on this record. And it was also one of the few songs on here that I can't say I really liked. Like, I think I understand the appeal of it, and it isn't a bad song by any means, but it didn't capture me back then when I first heard it, and my opinion didn't change when hearing it as part of the full record. There were a few other songs on Sour that I didn't feel strongly in favor of either, like Traitor and Favorite Crime. I think those two songs kind of take on slower builds that I couldn't get invested in. Every other song on here, though, ranged from I liked it to I loved it. The opening song, Brutal, is probably my favorite on the whole album. It's got some attitude to it, and not really in a cringy way, but just like, you know, just what I would ask for from someone attempting this particular style of pop rock. I thought the song One Step Forward, Three Steps Back was an example of a slower track that Olivia managed to execute incredibly well. Deja Vu and Good For You were the other singles, and I was thoroughly impressed with both of them. Happier has one of the more curious instrumentation layouts on the whole record, and that worked to its advantage to help set it apart from everything else. The closing song, I Hope You're Okay, was the perfect finishing point for the record and contains this large atmospheric sound that I couldn't remember hearing in any other track. So overall, I did like this album, but I think its biggest detriment was that it lacked replayability in some instances. 
Like, I didn't feel enticed to go back and listen to a few songs outside of some of the ones I just praised. Uh, but for a debut album that has so many eyes on it, I thought Olivia did a really good job. And, you know, I'm hopeful for her future as a big name in music. Fiddlehead now have a second album to their name in the form of Between the Richness. This is the follow-up to 2018's Springtime and Blind, which I, I admittedly haven't listened to yet. This record begins with an intro truck called Grief Motif, and I, I thought it perfectly set the tone for the rest of the record. Like, even though it's very short, it does still give you an indication for what kind of album this is, and that track bleeds perfectly into the years, which shows off the band's indie style that is also laced with some minor post-hardcore elements that I think you would get from acts like Title Fight and Citizen. Not to repeat something I just said about Olivia Rodrigo, but there are two songs on here where I think a slower pace works to their disadvantage, those being Million Times and Joy Boy. There was just this disconnect that I felt with those two songs compared to the rest of the record, and I couldn't fully immerse myself in them. After Million Times, the album does pick right back up, and the stretch from Eternal You to Life Notice is pretty fucking good. In particular, I thought Loverman had a really infectious vibe to its instrumentation that perfectly wrapped around the vocals that sounded tired and worn down while still being commendable. Life Notice is perhaps the most unique track on this record, since the first half of it sounds like a eulogy for someone named Heather Elizabeth Johnson, who I found out was a real person when doing research for this review, and the start of her obituary is actually the line spoken, like the exact line spoken at the start of this song. And then that song disintegrates in the second half and houses some of the heavier moments on this record. The closing song, Heart to Heart, came out as a single a few weeks ago, and I think it still stands as my favorite song on here. It's the song that got me interested in talking about this album to begin with, and for being an album that lives in a sector of the scene that I admittedly need to be more educated on, I thought there was a lot to enjoy about Between the Richness. Its flaws are greatly outweighed by the concepts that Fiddlehead managed to nail, and I don't see any reason why I wouldn't recommend this record to anyone who's into indie or post-hardcore or emo. Vola released Witness, which is their third album. It's my introduction to this band though, so I can't really speak on the quality of their previous work or, or what they might have sounded like. You know, if they're any different to what I heard on Witness. So, there was a specific sound that jumped out at me when I was listening to this album, and that was Architects meeting Ghost. And, and before listening to Witness, I wouldn't have been able to imagine what something like that would sound like. Instrumentally, I think it takes a lot of influence from Architects, you know, as do every other fucking metalcore band. And vocally was where I drew the ghost influence from. And maybe that's not even fully accurate, but it was just what I thought of when hearing this album. There were a lot of interesting choices made with this record, and I want to say that they all paid off. The opening song, Straight Lines, does its job in bringing you steadily into Vola's world. It's heavy while switching its pacing and structure very regularly, and at one point near the 2 minute and 40 second mark, it goes into what sounds like a chorus just because of how catchy it is. 
The song that follows it, Head Mountain Sideways, achieves the same feats. The song, These Black Claws, which features Shaman, was the first instance where I felt like the record was really deviating from its formula, and I thought it worked out so well. It's just this weird track that kind of goes back and forth between being a metal song and then hip-hop in certain areas. Freak was where I really felt the ghost influence shine through, and maybe someone can have a different interpretation of that track, but that's just what I thought when listening to it. Napalm, Future Bird, and Stone Leader Falling Down are where the band shows their prowess in the metalcore elements that had already been laced into the record up to that point. And then the closing track, Inside Your Fur, felt like a slightly heavier version of In the Dark by Bring Me the Horizon. Very similar guitar riff, similar delivery on the verses, just with Vola's own added spin, and that really did make it my favorite song on the record. Witness was very much so a risk on my end to try getting into because it's admittedly not something I would have given the time of day if someone explained to me beforehand what it sounded like. But I was glad to have listened to it because I thought it was an excellent record. Whether Vola becomes a band I actively follow from here on out is something I'm not really sure of because I would need to go back in their discography and educate myself more thoroughly on them. But for what I was presented with in the form of Witness, I thought Vola delivered. 21 Pilots are back with Scaled and Icy, which is their sixth album and also their most different since achieving massive mainstream success a couple of years ago on Blurryface. I, I think the best place to start with this review is by saying that I might not consider myself to be a massive fan of 21 Pilots. Although, I recognize just how fucking incredible the last few records of theirs have been. I thought Vessel and Blurryface were almost flawless. And then Trench was just a step below that. And now with Scaled and Icy, I do think the band falls another step below where that record was. But bear in mind that my final score for this record on social media was a 9 out of 10. So I'm acknowledging that a lesser 21 Pilots still outclass so many other bands. And it's okay that this record is different. Bands can benefit from evolving, and it was time for them to try something different. This might not exactly be the direction I imagine, but I am a fan of it. The only song on here that I ended up feeling indifferent on was Choker, which is kind of strange, because when I reviewed it as a single, I said that I liked it, and at the time I did, but when hearing it as a part of the full album, I felt that it didn't fit and it was just kind of weird being mixed in with the other songs on here. I think Shy Away succeeded as a lead single since it does incorporate many of the elements that make Scaled and Icy the adventurous alternative pop and synth pop record that it ultimately is. There's a three song stretch where it's The Outside, Saturday, and Never Take It that I completely fucking loved. I thought those three songs were the strongest showcases for this new side of 21 Pilots, Saturday especially since that was my favorite song on this record. I think that as Scaled and Icy progresses toward the end, the songs are still very good, but they do kind of start to slowly lose substance in certain areas. 
Not enough to the point where I disliked anything off the record, you know, outside of Choker, but it was enough for me to at least make note of it, and that's why the album dropped from, you know, potentially being a 9.5 to a 9 in the end. All that being said, I wouldn't classify any of the later songs as skips. They're still excellent, and it's clear that even if this is uncharted for Toyman Pilots, they know exactly what they're doing. They have the ability to adapt to whatever it is they're attempting, and I think that's such an admirable characteristic for a band. And you can't go into Scaled and Icy expecting to hear the 21 Pilots from the past, or the 21 Pilots that you're used to, but I can't really imagine anyone who was into their previous style being resentful of this new sound. Maybe this is my least favorite 21 Pilots album in a decade, but it's still really fucking good. Let's talk about Vexed. I included the song Fake in the singles reviews that I posted to social media, not realizing that it was part of an album that had already been released that same day. So I figured that if I cared enough to review what I thought was a single, then I owed it to Vexed to review their entire album, Culling Culture. This looks to be their debut record, although from listening to this, I wouldn't have assumed that, because Vexed sound so fucking polished in everything they do. The record opens with the combination of Ignorant and Hideous, and on the latter song, you're immediately met with Megan Target's stellar screams, and then in the chaotic chorus, we get a glimpse of what she can do on cleans. So, needless to say, her delivery along with the, you know, refined instrumentation kept me interested in hearing the rest of the record. The song I just mentioned that I thought was a single, Fake, was incredible and maintains the brutality that was heard on Hideous. The fourth song, Epiphany, was where the album becomes a bit more, you know, varied, yet that was by far my favorite song on Culling Culture. The verses go into a more melodic route in some sections with Megan's clean vocals being accompanied by instrumentation that sounds so crisp, especially the bass. Those sections are fucking insane and kept me coming back to the song repeatedly over the last week. Misery provides another showcase for Megan's two vocal styles and it becomes clear by that point that she's utilized as like a weapon in Vexed songwriting as she should be because I really can't think of another vocalist right now who sounds like her. And since I just said weapon, there's a song on here called Weaponize that sees Megan stick to screams, and combining that with the atmospheric tones in certain segments of this track, I thought that made Weaponize one of the more haunting songs on this record. There's an interlude song called Drift that I thought took the concept of an interlude and really just like hammered in what something like that can and should be on records like this. It's the perfect break between Purity and Aurora, the latter being another instance where Megan lets her clean vocals take center stage while being wrapped by the soothing yet brutal instrumentation. Part of me sort of feels that this song would have worked better as a closer rather than Lazarus, but I suppose that Lazarus succeeds if the intention was to finish with a heavy song. And leaving this record, I couldn't get over just how fucking talented all these members are. Like, I know I spent this whole review gassing up Megan's vocals, 
but genuinely, everyone else is skilled well beyond what one might expect from a band that is still relatively new. Calling Culture was one of the most fulfilling metalcore releases I've heard all year, and Vexed made sure I didn't forget that in its runtime. Deadlights dropped their second studio album, The Uncanny Valley, although this was my first time listening to them, so I don't really have a reference for what they might have sounded like in the past. The record opens with the title track, and it really takes its time in establishing its atmosphere for the first minute, before the rest of the band comes in, and, and you can just feel the intensity in the build-up. Like, this is some masterful shit, and the entire time I was just waiting for the explosion, and, and it came somewhat without warning. The last minute of the song scales itself back for just a little bit before giving the listener a hint at what the record will sound like in its heavier moments. And then it closes with a breakdown in what I thought was one of the shining moments on The Uncanny Valley. Schedule 1 keeps the pace going rapidly throughout the whole song, and I know I've already cited Architects as an influence on another band this episode, but I need to run that back for Deadlights because it's apparent on this song. And that's really not a bad thing, no matter how many tired memes there are about bands taking inspiration from Architects. Deadlights nailed that sound on this track. Songs like The King of Nowhere, Born of a Lie, and Echo Chamber really showed what Deadlights can do when focusing more on the melodic side of the metalcore genre as opposed to just the in-your-face instrumentation with screams. Those songs still have their heavy moments, sure, but they don't rely on that sound to get their point across. Electrodome feels like the happy medium, and then Contact, Sudden Life, Sudden Death, and Pythia, or Pythia, however you actually say that word, are where the heavier side of metalcore is let out by deadlights for everyone to examine. And yet still, the band does nail everything they're trying. You know, I can't deny that. There's an interlude song called I See the Future that kind of has like some unsettling elements in it that I really appreciated. And then at the end of the record, you get Frozen Over, which is definitely the most melodic song on the record. Every part of that song is just this emotional journey that was unlike anything else on the record, and it was absolutely one of the best songs I listened to last week. The structure in it is so curious, and kept me wondering what was going to happen next, and I fucking love having that feeling in a song when it's combined with concepts that I will never get enough of, like a band not only trying their hand at something uncharacteristically melodic. Frozen Over made sure that I left the Uncanny Valley feeling complete, and it was the perfect endgame to an album that I can't help but just admire and appreciate for executing everything it tried. I think the quality of Frozen Over outshined the rest of the album, and that's why it got a 9.5 instead of a 10, but at the same time, I also think Frozen's existence might have bumped the score up from a 9 to a 9.5, so. You know, you, you take what you get, I suppose. Kaunashi finally released their debut album, Dear Lemon House, You Ruined Me, Senior Year. And I, I think I already said this on a prior episode, but I'll just say it again. Uh, that's my favorite album title of the year so far. It's so strange and abnormal, and I love it because it reminds me of a past time where bands just gave everything really weird and long names. And Kaunashi do share elements sonically with those bands. 
I had reviewed the lead single a few weeks ago, which was An Evening of Moving Pictures with Scooter Corkle, and I praised the fuck out of this band's experimentation with a dated post-hardcore sound from the 2000s. That sound is established through the opening song, Taylor, which uses a very crooked structure to let the listener know right away that this record is going to be just wild and all over the place in almost everything that it does. The last half of that song is mostly instrumental in a very melodic manner that juxtaposes the rapid pace of everything that happened prior, but I fucking loved it and Taylor ended up being one of my favorite songs on the record. Fuck Temple University follows much of what I've already said about those two other songs I talked about, but by this point in the album, I understood that Kaunashi very much so have intelligence in their approach to this sound, because for as chaotic as these songs are, Kaunashi aren't just like, you know, throwing shit at the wall and passing that off as an album. There really is structure here, just not in a conventional manner that people would think of whenever they hear the word structure as it pertains to music. Market Street serves as a reminder for that, despite having a final minute that sounds just a, a small, tad bit pop-driven in its instrumentation. Like I was nodding my head to that section, and I couldn't necessarily do that beforehand in the same tone. Broad Street felt a lot more like an open world that was being explored, especially in its final two minutes that were just so melodic while also laying clean vocals over them. It was startling, but at the same time, it, it was welcoming because Kaunashi continued to showcase everything that they're capable of. Like, they're really not just some fucking MySpace throwback band that only knows how to do one thing really well. The song A Recipe for a Meaningful Life ended up being my favorite on the record, while also being the most different in its execution up to that point. The first half of it sounded like something from either Deftones or Loathe, and while I'm not overly captivated by either of those bands, I was overly captivated by what Kaunashi did on this track. The record closes with a three-part song called The Underdog, and it should be noted that part two is an acoustic song that has absolutely nothing in common sonically with anything else on the record. But again, I really appreciated being able to hear so many different sides of Kaunashi on this record. By the time The Underdog 3 finished, I strongly believed that I heard a record that despite sounding like a throwback, was ultimately going to age very well in the long run. There's still so much left for me to unpack with this record, like I don't feel like I heard every element there is to hear in the three times that I listened to it. So automatically, that makes me want to go back and listen to it again and again, and I think that's a testament to an album being nearly flawless. I think maybe the runtime of 47 minutes for something like this might be asking for too much from some people, but I do hope that everyone who considers themselves to be a fan of this style of hardcore music would choose to take the time to hear Dear Lemon because it is absolutely, definitively worth it. Waterparks. The most fucking annoying band in the world that gets a pass from being annoying because of how good they are. This is a band that has truly risen in the ranks of the scene over the last few years, and with the release of their new album Greatest Hits, it feels like we're another step closer to them branching out of the scene and no longer being 
quote-unquote ours. And ultimately, I think that's what this record needed to be, because anything less would have been a step back compared to where they were prior to any announcement about greatest hits. So, 17 songs are here, and I won't get to talk about all of them, because I really am overstaying my welcome on this episode at this point. The singles all hit. That's what I'm going to start off with. They were fucking stellar. Low-key as hell, Snow Globe, Numb, You'd Be Paranoid 2, Just Kidding, and Violet all delivered on every front that I'd expect from Waterparks. The songs are catchy and singable and irritating yet still just fucking phenomenal. I'm going to mention the one song on this record that I didn't really fuck with and that was Fruit Roll-Ups. The pacing of that song just wasn't really for me, and lyrically, it didn't do much to entice me either. I for sure wouldn't say that I didn't like the song, but just comparing it to the rest of the material, there was no way that it could hold up. At least in my eyes. Everything else, though, that weren't even singles, kept my interest in such a big way. And I specifically want to single out Magnetic, because that's my favorite song on the record, and really one of my favorite Waterpark songs overall. It's a very strange electronic rock song that encompasses such a dark feel to it, despite not really being dark, and the delivery of the chorus is annoyingly catchy, and really, annoyingly catchy is when Waterparks are at their best. The intro combination of Greatest Hits and Fuzzy should sound incredible in a live setting, whenever this band resumes shows. This, the Secret Life of Me sounded like this electropop race against time, and I really, really enjoyed it. American Graffiti had a lot in common with some of the earlier water parks that you would hear on Double Dare. 17 songs is a lot, and not really for water parks, but just for my own dumb attention span. To the album's credit though, every song is unique. They all have their own identities, like I'm not going to get any of them mixed up with each other. If Fruit Roll-Ups wasn't on Greatest Hits, then I would say that it's a perfect record, and I really, really did just want to overlook that song for that reason, but, but I can't bring myself to do that. So, you know, I'm letting this album sit in the ranking of a 9.5, but let me say now that it might be the strongest 9.5 in Ulterior's shitty little database. This record is fucking insane, and I will never have an issue with admitting just how much I love Waterparks. And finally, the one album last week that I gave a perfect score to, Never Tell dropped their sophomore record, Everything in My Mind. I'm assuming that nobody listening to this episode right now has ever heard of Never Tell? A, a lot of people haven't, which makes it very difficult to figure out if I'm even pronouncing their name correctly. I would fucking hope I am, because I'm about to praise the shit out of their album. So this record was supported by a couple of singles, the title track, Back On Me, All I Need, and Know My Loneliness. Back On Me was the first song of theirs I heard, and I was really intrigued by the execution of alternative rock that was very grounded in electronic and pop at the same time. The chorus on that song in particular uses vocal effects to create this really catchy rhythm that repeats the word die, and that's kind of what the whole track is built around. The title track is also really fucking good, and kind of has that issues type feel 
when it comes to mixing alternative with R&B and electronic. Again, the chorus on that song is huge, and that's very much so a recurring theme throughout this record. It's just littered with choruses and hooks that stuck with me. All I Need was very much so the same story, and at that point, three great singles down, and I would have been happy with just that. The final single was Know My Loneliness, and I wholeheartedly mean it when I say that Know My Loneliness is one of the best songs I've heard all year from any band. It is ridiculously fucking good. So knowing that, you know, I, I, I took all of that with me into the record. And, and by the way, the record is only 9 songs long, 28 minutes long. It, it is a fucking breeze to get through. I've listened to this like fucking 15 times by this point, just because of how easy of a listen it is. It opens with Holding On, which does a masterful job of building itself up through an electronic rhythm that sounds like it came straight from Jordan Fish's laptop. That song also incorporates some hip-hop elements, and that was necessary because they return later on in the record. For an opener, this achieved everything that it needed to. And to piggyback off of what I just said about hip-hop, <coughs> I'm sorry, Life Like This is very much so a hip-hop song, and it was so fucking satisfying to hear this band branch out and try their hand at that, especially since I thought they just executed it flawlessly. New Friend, which features Andromeda, returns to the catchy melodies I spoke about earlier, but there's also a breakdown near the end of it, and that's the one instance where this record really ventures into metalcore. Uh, the interlude, What's It Mean, has the same Bring Me the Horizon feel to it that I mentioned with the opener. Like, I'm not sure how many people listening to this will know what I'm talking about, but the live version of Can You Feel My Heart has an intro before the band starts playing it, and that's what this interlude reminded me of in a way. The closing song, Dark Cloud, acts as a summarization of almost every element that was factored into this record, minus the hip-hop and metalcore parts. It's just a very soulful alternative song that is the perfect conclusion to everything that Never Tell built with this record. Everything in my mind is a perfect album. I have never been bored listening to it. Again, it, it flies right by and is so enjoyable and I just cannot stop listening to it. It gives me the exact sensation I look for in albums and I am beyond thankful to have come across it. And that's it. That was every song from last week that, you know, I gathered up for this episode. I'm fucking gone, y'all. My voice is just... And, and, you know, maybe that has something to do with me skipping last week. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I really wish I didn't skip last week. But th there was just no way that I was going to be able to... To, to sit here and, and talk through everything that I was going through and everything that I'm still going through, really. Um, I, I, I can't think, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm getting my words, like, mixed up now. I, I really can't thank the people enough who showed genuine care for Mikasa's passing and, and for caring about how I felt. Like, like, that truly, truly meant the world to me, and... You know, it, it made me smile, and I, I would hope that it made her smile. And, you know, smiles are really just all that 
I've needed in this past week. And, and there were so many songs I've talked about today that did just that. And, you know, w- without music to fall back on, I really, really don't know where I-, I would be, not just this week, but in my life altogether. So it, it will always mean so much to me that anyone takes the time out of their day once a week or maybe more to hear what I have to say about music. Because, you know, like, the whole point of this podcast isn't to change anyone's opinion on certain bands or, or sway anyone into a certain direction about a genre. It's really just about me expressing my passion for music. And uh, again, I am very, very thankful for the people who are allowing me to start building a platform. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get off of this now. Um, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.